Hello and welcome to the IMB podcast brought to you by the Communications Office and Student Media Cell of IIM Bangalore. The new podcast series aims to become a platform to discuss the latest business, economic, management and social issues that matter. The podcast will witness IIM Bangalore fraternity including but not limited to the faculty members, students and alumni and provide their insights and perspectives for the topics and issues that surround us. The impact of COVID-19 on health, economies and markets is an unfolding story that is complex and fluid in its ever-changing dimensions. One of the biggest visible impacts of the virus has been on the organizations and the nature of workplaces. As the virus spreads invisibly across the globe, nation after nation had declared lockdowns and organizations scrambled to comply with lockdown restrictions while striving to keep operations going. The pandemic is becoming the accelerator for one of the greatest workforce transformation of our lifetime in terms of remote work culture. According to NASCOM, organizations are realizing that they can function through this model as well and this kind of culture will be followed in many organizations even post-pandemic as well. To further discuss the impact of COVID-19 on people management and the future of workforce, we have with us today Professor Vasanthi Srinivasan. Professor Srinivasan is a professor in the Organizational Behavior and Human Resource Management area. She is Chair of Digital Learning and been the past President of Indian Academy of Management. Her research interests are in the field of multi-generations in the workplace, women in management and boards, ethics teaching in business schools, and CSR in MSMEs. At IIM Bangalore, she teaches the core course on managing people and performance in organizations and also offers an elective in human resource management. She has designed and delivered sessions on leadership development and career management on executive education programs. She has also consulted extensively for both Indian and multinational companies in the field of leadership development. She has designed, developed and delivered programs to build the leadership pipeline for organizations. So. Welcome, Professor. It is a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure for me also to be here. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, so let, let me start with the very first question. Uh, the sudden shift in work culture took a toll on overall employee health and well-being uh, in these COVID times. How should organization help these employees steer through such a time? What are your thoughts on the same? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, one of the things that we have to recognize is that uh, uh, the pandemic is a once in a generation event that we have experienced. Okay, So we have not really seen anything of this scale or magnitude. And as it has unfolded, I think the uncertainty has caught all of us by surprise. So what have I seen happening in organizations? I think it took them a while to get their business as usual into normal. And the large part of the focus was how to actually transition employees to work from home. And that in itself took close to about two to three months to settle in in a way that they were able to deliver to customers seamlessly. It's and the initial phase of about six months was quite fascinating because there was this dominant belief in all of our heads that we need to be physically present to deliver and be effective. But given the fact that people were working remotely, 
I think a large part of the effort that employees put in was in making sure that they remained productive and they were contributing to the organization. So if you look at every single study and the insight that we get from organizations, it's been that the first six months productivity has gone up, efficiency has gone up, and in general, it appears that across the board, across all organizations, once people had learned how to work remotely, they began to contribute. However, I, what none of us foresaw was the prolonged period of what interacting with technology would mean. Okay? And it is there that some of the challenges have begun to unfold, particularly in the last four months. The first one is that organizations are now recognizing that there is indeed a um, fatigue. Call it a Zoom fatigue, a team fatigue, blue jeans fatigue, whatever it is, but there is indeed a technology fatigue. The second one that people are beginning to see is that given that um, a large number of employees had really um, were staying on their own, they didn't have the family support to actually cope with being alone. The third one is that not all our homes are really geared to have three or four people working from home or studying from home. So the kind of intrusion that personal lives come into professional lives and professional lives spill into personal lives is almost very little time for people to switch contexts. Now, why are all of this important? Because all of these have an impact on employee well-being in ways that we have not yet understood. Okay, so what have organizations done during the period and what should organizations do as they go forward? I think the first thing that organizations have done is now advising employees to actually manage their days more effectively. The second one is a large number of organizations have just gone back to traditional audio conference calls. The third thing that they have done is provided organization wide counseling services tied up with third party organizations to manage this. And last but not the least, I think hundreds and thousands of managers across organizations have been sensitized on how to lead with respect, compassion and empathy for employees. OK, so all of this has been done. So as I listen to your question, what more should organizations do? How should they look as they look into the future? We realize that the epidemic curve is not plateauing as easily. I believe at this stage, organizations need to go beyond what they have done. And this is probably the right time to go back and ask employees how they would like to integrate their work and life. And this is a conversation that can begin now because employees themselves have had about nine months to learn to negotiate with technology and a virtual environment. So this is the time to ask employees, how would we organize work? In what ways should we be organizing such that it is productive for both the organization as well as for the employee? Other bigger questions that start coming in is, how do we actually recognize and reward employees in these kind of contexts? Okay, 
should the criteria change? And then, of course, the whole idea, what is employee development going to look like? Because often well-being is not about managing illness. It's also about looking at the future and the way we need to engage with both work and life. Yeah, and those are the difficult questions I think organizations are picking up just now. That's very well said, ma'am. So taking cue from the first uh, answer, uh, the transition that you mentioned to remote work culture uh, is not as seamless as it seems. Uh, for example, like before the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, less than 50% of the companies had a remote work program. Uh, the banks and regulated industries and many other financial services companies did not encourage remote working per se. So now almost all of them are kind of rushing to build remote work strategies. Uh, so what are what according to you are some of the changes that are temporary in nature and what do you think are some of the permanent uh, changes that would occur uh, in people management techniques as such organizations? Uh, Rishi, I don't know what is temporary and permanent. So what I'm going to do is because every few weeks I have heard people use the word new normal. And quite honestly, I don't know what that new normal is because we haven't seen a new normal still. OK, so I think there is a blurring of boundaries between what is temporary and permanent. So let me address this on. Will we go back to the way we were as an organization a year ago? I don't think so. I don't think so. And the reason is twofold. First is that Organizations have changed and have learned new ways of working, which is far more efficient. And you are seeing that with the kind of announcements that several organizations have met saying, let's close down the office and we want all employees to work from home. And some of India's largest employers have said that 75% of our employees can work from home and we still be, will be able to deliver what we want them to perform. Okay, So one is from the organization's perspective. The second one I don't think we are having as much of a conversation is really whether employees will want to come back to work. Okay. If there is a certain way that allows me to manage my life and work effectively, why would I want to come back, especially given the kind of traffic that we used to have earlier, given the kind of time it used to take to compute, given the public infrastructure, why would employees want to come back to work to this similar kind of a context. OK, so both of us have changed the organization and the individual employee. So if we recognize that and then move forward, what do I see as some permanent changes? I think for some foreseeable period of time, there will be this whole idea of social distancing and managing uh, workplaces in a way that is uh, safe for employees, so which means roughly about a third of the organization or half the organization will actually come in to the workplace. OK, so that one I expect will continue for a period of time. Now, if that continues for a period of time, we will be able to see what new configurations of teams will happen. So what parts of the organization have to come together to be able to collaborate? Should everyone come together? No, not necessary, but there will be interdependencies 
of various teams and those people would come a particular just be one day in a week where all The second one, I think this idea that there will be some employees who will be remote and some employees who will be physical. I expect that the infrastructure and the way managers think will naturally and seamlessly continue to adopt this, uh, what they call as the fidgetal. Okay, so the moment we recognize fidgetal as the new response, uh, new reality, and that there will be part physical and far part digital. We just have to configure which part will be digital and which part will be physical. OK, now. It's almost. As if we just have to think of the virtual world and the physical world as seamless extensions of space, okay? like what you and I are doing now. I mean, we are all in remote different places, but yet we know that there is a common space that we share. I think a lot of organizations will start to figure out using technology of different collabor collaborative technologies as well as human um, interactions to be able to figure out these digital spaces. The other one that I see that is going to be a reasonably permanent uh, change is that one of the things that work from home has done is it has individualized work. So. There are parts of my work that I need to do by myself. There are parts of my work that require interdependencies. Okay? This division of work that is done by oneself and by others, and these can be done separately. I think this creates a whole new way of thinking because some days a week I can work independently, some days a week I can come for interdependencies. Now this means that we have to again rethink in terms of interdependencies and individual accountability in organizations and that can change and bring a whole new narrative to the way people want to design organizations. I think the bottom line that I want to tell you is that we are going to be seeing in the next five to seven years an amazing world of designs of organizations that are going to be new, innovative in the way they configure how people come together between the physical and the digital. That's very well said and it's a really amazing insight that we can have. Uh, moving on to next question, ma'am. One of the major reasons why particularly HR teams uh, are struggling is due to lack of agility, primarily because most of the HR teams are not designed for agility per se. And this is affecting uh, the HR professionals uh, for quite some time now. So uh, in this crisis, uh, don't you think it is critical to respond fast and move quickly than what we used to do before? Yeah. Um, Rishi, uh, one of the things that I have often felt is that sometimes during crisis, uh, when we make decisions, we don't know the consequences of these decisions. And since every decision has intended and unintended consequences, often when we make these decisions in crisis, particularly in the COVID times, we don't have enough information or insight as the pandemic was evolving to know whether we are making the right decision at all. Okay, 
So to be fair to the HR fraternity, because I have looked at some of the um, uh, so so I'm on several uh, WhatsApp groups with uh, very senior HR professionals, and I can tell you the kind of dilemmas and the kind of issues that and challenges that they have faced, which um, are which are uh, not which are at one level very critical because at the end of the day you're talking about safety and security of employees, okay, and. And we're talking about life and death, literally. OK, so in this context, when you have to make decisions, I think at the end of the day, everything is about security and well-being of employees. And I think on that count, I would say that the HR departments, teams across the board. I think they were closely interacting with each other across organizations to figure out what needs to be done. So to that extent, in terms of responding to the crisis in terms of um, basic hygiene factors for employees, I think that they did a very, very good job of it. OK, so we may not have seen it because it was it's not evident to the external world, but I think internally there are some great stories of how organizations have done this. OK, so I think that's the piece that we must remember. Uh, in terms of uh, what they did. The second question that I wish we saw more conversations around was. What is this changing reality? How is it going to impact how we select people? We now know that we can onboard people remotely. How does this onboarding? How can we make it more effective? And can onboarding itself become forever virtual? How should the performance management systems be reworked to ensure that we are actually able to develop and groom employees who can lead in a distributed context like this? How can we look at reward and recognition systems that will enable remote work? Now, these are the kind of questions which have to be addressed today. And unless they are addressed and to varying degrees, different organizations are indeed dealing with them. Okay, so it is in these questions that HR professionals have a role to shape the future of a post COVID world. Okay, and I think it's those conversations that will now start becoming important because even employees now are saying, I know how to work remotely. So tell me as HR, what will this mean for my careers? OK, now is the time that employees are going to start putting pressure to be able to get some of those answers. Will I work if I work remotely? Will I actually grow in my career? Can I become a senior leader by working remotely? Do I need to have this kind of experience for me to? Yeah, because I don't have it working remotely. Now those questions will become relevant for HR now. And if you ask me, it was not the last six months that was important for the HR professionals. It's actually the next two years if they have to kind of become relevant in this entire um, uh, new world. I think those are the kind of questions that have to be addressed. Over to you, Rishi. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, that was really well said. Uh, mo moving on, I mean, taking the cue from your previous answer, I think Communication uh, is another major challenge uh, that is on the priority, priority list. 
and uh, without the right communication channels uh, it becomes difficult to manage a workforce uh, i mean the communication channels that we are used to uh, in the traditional in the traditional world uh, is not quite effective in uh, the covid times so what different communication techniques uh, you think would benefit both the organizations uh, and the employees as well yeah so um it is it is uh, it's just amazing you know i even in a physical world i would always tell leaders that no one died of over communication yeah but clearly we know that conflicts happen because of under communication so in a physical world itself communication was so critical okay what have i observed in a virtual world uh, about communication and i'm drawing extensively on my own experience at different levels one is in the kind of meetings that we conduct the other one is in the kind of mails that we draft and write to people that we never are probably going to meet then there is the communication to a large team that you lead then of course there is the communication that you are uh, providing to uh, different uh, senior management teams across the world as they are trying to kind of assess how the uh, how its things are evolving in different countries so you have a variety of stakeholders to whom you're communicating we always knew that consistency in communication was important just being consistent i'm now realizing how critical consistency in communication is in a remote context what does this mean if you are saying something on the social media you've got to be consistent in this in the mail that is going out to your employees in the organization which has to be consistent with what is the a uh, 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 note that you are giving to your senior management and it has to be consistent with when you are doing a one on one call with an employee this why because employees don't have an opportunity or people don't have an opportunity to see you to see your um, physical um, um gestures um on most remote uh, on most uh, calls we switch off the video because of bandwidth so which means there's absolutely no cues that we are used to from the past in terms of how we pick up how people uh, communicate we have no cue and because of this lack of cues that we are unable to pick up misinterpretation misunderstanding attributing motives where they are none all of these actually have a propensity to increase i was addressing the senior leaders of a large multinational company and we spent close to 30 minutes on talking about what's working in terms of communication okay and what's not working and it's interesting that all of them told me that the same message now they are making sure that it's addressed through different channels second one the communication um people have become very sought after people in organizations why because you are now looking at communication as a branded messaging okay the moment there is consistency the moment there are a large number of stakeholders more and more ceos are drawing upon corporate communication internal communication to actually help them to ensure that messages are consistently delivered to different stakeholders 
and that's not very easy when you are in um, in uh, times where several people don't have access at the same time yeah so that's another one that's coming out in terms of how corporate communication internal communication professionals are actually acting as sounding boards for leaders in the way they communicate internally the third aspect of communication which i actually have seen over and over is that your written communication your ability to articulate very specifically and provide direction for action in your written communication, how you draft an email, all of that is taking so much more time than what it did maybe in nine months ago. Beyond this, one of my biggest learning has really been that technologies um, actually, I think we have blocks in our minds on what technology can do and what it can't. So I think it's the self-limiting belief of individuals that is not helping us to harness the power of technology. I think over the last eight months, I have realized that there's nothing that you did physically that cannot be done virtually. And therefore, the medium and the messenger and the message, how do we kind of bring them and align them together? I think that's a new capability all of us have to acquire. Yeah, and I think that's also going to be our new reality in the future. So it's not about how you're presenting, but it's about how you're connecting, how you're communicating, and above all, how are you able to uh, sorry, um, it's not about how you're communicating, but it's about how you're connecting with people, which actually makes all the difference. And that's something that's going to continue into the new normal. Uh, uh, that's very well said, ma'am. Uh, most of the things, uh, at least I could relate it on a very personal level. Yeah. Uh, yes, so uh, moving on to the next question, ma'am. Uh, one thing that has been quite synonymous with uh, the COVID times uh, has been the uncertainty and, you know, the, just the feeling that, you know, not knowing what the future holds uh, or, you know, what measures to take to sustain organizational operation is a huge challenge. Uh, so an addition, we believe that an additional task has been allocated to HR teams in the organizations to go ahead and actually address these uncertainties amongst the employees as well. Uh, so how do you think uh, the HR teams uh, can manage such an important task? So I think I would first like to see the uncertainty as an opportunity. I think it is allowing us to break mindsets. It's allowing us to think differently. Okay, So I'd like to use that lens to look at what can HR do, what can senior leaders in organizations do, and what can entrepreneurs do to actually look at this changed reality. I mean, how do we harness the power of the experience that we have during these months to actually be able to shape uh, organizations. So let me kind of begin with HR. I think one 
of the biggest um, things that uncertainty has done is an openness to receive information, insight, advice from anyone. Because all, none of us know whether what we are doing is indeed the right thing. So this openness in the mind set, because we are all confronting this reality, which we all don't know, and we are still making decisions there. I think this openness is something that I see will continue for some foreseeable time. Openness is an important characteristic because openness allows us to take ideas from anywhere. And in these times, I'm actually seeing organizations make some fantastic changes to their to the way they did their human resource practices. Two or three of them that are really kind of worth looking at is. The first one is who would have imagined that managers and leaders would play such a transformatory role. We always knew their role was important, but who would know that they would be able to play such a transformatory role as coaches and mentors during transition? Okay. Now, this whole enabling the organization and leaders to be able to look at this whole experience as an opportunity, I think a large number of HR departments have attempted to do that. The second space where I think there is an opportunity for HR to kind of do, do um, some really innovative things is in terms of engagement. You see, crisis brings us together and shared crisis of the magnitude that we have seen also evokes compassion in, in individuals. So in general, I find that people are a little more tolerant. People are a little more empathetic. OK, this empathy, tolerance, compassion was never in the organizational vocabulary. OK, so I think HR is now having those conversations on what does it mean to be a caring, empathetic organization? And Rishi, to my mind, that is one of the biggest shifts that the pandemic has brought about. In some ways, the human resource department that was there of the past, I do see traces of a human relations department or a human relationship department in the last uh, few months. And I think that is a good beginning for any function to be able to transform itself. That was amazing, ma'am. I mean, the shift that you mentioned from human resource to human relation uh, is something that really should be pondered upon. Yeah. Uh, so uh, moving on to the next question, ma'am, uh, it's a very small question. Uh, what does the future of workforce looks like? Yeah, so um, if we look at the future of so let me let me do two things in this question. I mean, it's it's a it's a very simple and short question, but at another level, it's a very profound question because there is a future of organization and there is a future of work and the future of the worker. OK, so let me kind of address the three. 
The future of the organization is actually going to be globally distributed small teams, highly connected workforce, which means that across the organizations, people have to work really like a small company, like an entrepreneur, an intrapreneurial uh, mindset. People have to continuously adapt. People have to collaborate. Um, flatter structures will continue to be the future because if most people can work from home, why do we have these big hierarchies? Um, so and then uh, how will people become self-managed because they are used to working remotely? So if you look at all of these organizational changes that are happening, what's the impact of that? In terms of the workforce, OK? I think the first thing we will see is that there will be multiple contracts that organizations will be giving out to prospective employees. And this already we are seeing that one of the realities that we've seen over the last few years is that employment contracts have dramatically changed. Okay, I expect that with the gig economy. Will there will be dramatic changes on the way people are employed in organizations and that opens up choices in terms of how employees want to choose contracts with the organizations that they choose to work. OK, now this important change of the way contracts will be structured and the way work can be done remotely has huge implications for people. This doesn't mean that the old hierarchical organizations will disappear. They are not going to, but there is going to be a little bit of what I call as uh, a blended career or a blended workplace and that blended workplace is going to provide opportunities, but those opportunities are not the opportunities that we have seen today. OK. The first thing that is going to demand of young professionals, including B school professionals, is you have to take charge of your career development. You've got to continuously invest in upskilling yourself. You've got to demonstrate very strong capability to collaborate and work together. You need to demonstrate very high degree of adaptability and agility. You need to have perspectives that are beyond just your job and your uh, function and your level of competence. You need to be able to anticipate and shape things, not just accept and deliver things. OK, so you can see that this is the vocabulary of the future. Okay. Um, a few years ago, I did some work with NASCOM and we were looking at what are the future leadership competencies. At that point in time, I thought these leadership competencies were for senior leaders, but today I find that all the leadership competencies that I identified in that study are equally relevant to young MBAs who are graduating. The first one that we found in that study was sensing my ability to spot trends in the environment, connect the dots and be able to see a bigger picture beyond my role, my job. 
I mean, this is just as true for an individual contributor today as it is true for the CEO of a company. It's just different in terms of scale and impact. The second one that we saw was agility. And when I say agility, I mean mental agility. The capacity to see multiple perspectives, the willingness to quick fail, recover and run, the willingness to experiment with ideas, just imagination in terms of thoughts. All of these, to my mind, construe agility. Agility is just as important, like I said, for a young MBA as much as it is necessary for uh, senior leaders. The third one that I I'm finding more and more is that I think whether it's in a business school or an organization, we are conditioned to thinking in some ways and those ways become our biases. One thing that COVID has taught us is that to just re-examine every single bias that we had. And believe you me, I'm such a champion today of technology because my own biases were that in some of the areas of people management, technology can never substitute what people bring in. I am clear that those were my biases because in my own work, every single one of those biases have been broken. And last but not the least is how do you act? It's one thing to sense, but how do you translate it into action? While you're delivering your business as usual, what does it mean? It means engaging with a new set of stakeholders, thinking through problems at different levels in the organization, building a collective coherence around change and the need to change. All of these, to my mind, have never been more relevant than they are today in these times. To me, the one word that comes to my mind as I look at my own experience and the experience of leaders that I have worked with over the last nine months is that the um, change it's no longer about the rate or pace of change. It's no longer about learning and unlearning. I think the vocabulary of the future is going to be shedding. How quickly can I shed what I have learned to be able to upskill or grow in a completely new area? Shedding is not a metaphor that we've got used to. We are still in learning, unlearning, relearning metaphor. I think COVID is telling us that it's time to talk of a metaphor of shedding. So as leaders, you have to future proof yourself. And if you have to future proof yourself, you have to shed several things that may not work or may not be relevant for the future. Can young people um, find this, adapt it, build it into their DNA will determine how quickly they will be able to grow in the future. Those were some really thought provoking insights. Uh, one of the insight for me was really unfathomable per se that most of or rather all the people management work that you are kind of overdoing could now be done by technology. And, you know, even I had my biases that, you know, there are some things that cannot be done by technology. You need some interpersonal skills to do that. But I mean, I'm really 
surprised uh, uh, to to know such an insight and i i would really look forward to uh, more experience in that in that uh, in that field uh, so so moving on to the next uh, question ma'am uh, i mean in uh, in 2019 the gartner came up with the report that most of the redesign or restructuring activities that organizations takes uh, take place uh, were primarily focused on uh, you know streamlining the roles the supply chain the workflows to increase the efficiency uh, now uh, post covid era i mean during covid era and uh, post as well uh, do you think that the restructure or redesigning exercise the the aim of those exercises would shift from uh, design to efficiency to design to resilience because the organizations that were resilient uh, performed better uh, than those who were struggling on that front so what are your thoughts on that see i will um, reframe it and say that efficiency is a lower order capability resilience is a higher order capability okay so there is a place for efficiency and there is a place for resilience so the question that we have to ask is that how will organizations through the structures and people build both okay we should not underestimate the power of efficiency but efficiency alone is not going to let an organization live and grow so structures will become more and more there will be structures that will build greater efficiency as they have done in the past but i think what i see happening more and more in the future is how do we value talent now that i think will have greater emphasis as we go forward because we all know that recovery after a pandemic like this will happen we may not know today what is the nature of that recovery but when the recovery happens what is that key capability that organizations will need is just strong talent good people okay so to my mind in the way we have to look at it it's not about either or but it's about being able to say long term sustainability and resilience one dimension of that is how efficient we are how predictable we are how are we delivering uh, consistent um, um, uh, delivery to our customers but there is the whole piece which is how innovative are we how are we actually able to harness the power of the collective will all of that become important in the new world yes it will and there is no doubt at all so to my mind both are important the emphasis is what will change oh, very well said ma'am uh, coming to the last question uh, which is very pertinent to people like me uh, so uh, you know one of the things that you mentioned in answers were uh, how the hiring process 
uh, would change uh, in the coming future so w- what are your suggestions to the b school students and the b school aspirants who are for example going for their interviews in next couple of months so what what kind of what suggestions would you like to give them if there are any yeah um i am personally very optimistic over the next uh, few uh, maybe we will struggle for a year or maybe more but we when we begin to grow there will be opportunities okay what are you going to do with those opportunities are you going to be able to spot those opportunities or are you going to just miss the bus by just looking at the standard companies that come to campus to the standard career success uh, uh, parameters that uh, have been fed uh, to business school students on uh, um, you know look for designation look for uh, what are their uh, ctc and i mean that's not the world of the future they are important i'm not uh, brushing them away i know that there will be several people who will have to pay loans keep that focus but the bigger one is to be able to ask what is it that i would enjoy doing how do i see the next 30 years of my life where career and life will blend do i know what are my interests do i know where i see this future and i would encourage each one of you to look at a 10 year future it might seem silly it might seem stupid at these times that someone is asking you to see a 10 year career but i truly believe that as there is a lack of clarity in the 10 years you will then be able to ask saying what is it that i don't like and elimination is as much a part of the selection as is knowing what you want okay so first thing i would say is that experiment explore okay and somehow no this is associated with business school students with needing to change jobs okay no you don't need to change jobs to explore you can be in the same organization and continue to explore okay so this is one idea that i would like to leave with you the second one that i would like to leave with you is that the future requires that you are a specialist an expert uh an absolutely competent person in at least one area you have to be so good so outstandingly good at least in one area it could be a function it could be a domain it could be i it could be anything but you have to be so outstandingly good at it because the world it will know you for that the third one is that i think you shouldn't be wedded to models frameworks they are all just tools so spend time getting to know and understand the basics okay that will hold you in a much stronger stead in the future the ability to abstract the ability to see a big picture the ability to understand a phenomena those are the things that will stand by you not the tools and unfortunately many of us pick up a lot of tools on the way uh, thinking that these tools are going to be useful the last one is and this i think is going to be a very very big distinguishing capability which is and i think companies will start looking for this in their uh, in the mbas when they hire is do you have the ability to build on ideas of others in general no we create a we have across 
the country in the education system we have created such a great deal of competition that everybody wants to say how this little delta they are different so which means we are not creating people who can build on the ideas of others organizations will need people who can build on ideas and i think that is something that they will look for more and more your ability to think differently to think critically to be able to hold two ideas together in simultaneity these are the things that i expect that organizations in the future are going to look i do hope that they don't just continue to look at the gpa and your resumes because i think you are really not identifying potential there what you have on a resume is a wonderful track record of past performance and in a world that is getting disrupted so uh, uh, in such a magnitude how can i even trust that a past is a good indicator of your future performance that's where i expect some innovations for the mbas in the future well that that okay. was a really amazing answer ma'am uh, yeah so that's it uh, from our side all right thank you so much ma'am once again thank uh, it you. was a thank really you nice very record. much yeah good thank idea you. thank you ma'am thank, thank you, you so bye bye So that's it from the IMB podcast today. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Do send in your comments, feedback, and suggestions, and we'll be happy to read them. Have a great day.